Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in the history of sound that has two brothers talking to each other about comics. I'm one of those two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other one of those brothers, Kevin Hines. And yeah, we are probably the biggest thing that sound has produced. <laughs> yeah, we're number one. Yeah. Um, like right sound came is- along and then us. Yep, and then there's music and then communication, but we're sure, pretty those, high up there. Those are music's in the top ten for sure. Oh yeah, music's great. Music's great. Yeah. Talking communication is up there. Huge. Uh, Dolphin um, sounds also big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the sound of like rain hitting the roof when you're like oh, uh, trying to go to sleep. That's so great. That's up so there too. Great. But we're probably number one. Yeah, but a lot of people say we're number one. That's just you know, very flattering that people very say fun. that. A lot of those lists on the internet, you know, top 10 most important sound things. <laughs> yep. We're yeah, often number one. On there. We're not, uh, we're not the number one podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, we're never on anybody's list of top podcasts, but just top uses of sound. We're right up there. Yeah, that's nice. It's really great. Um, uh, we are in the middle of our inter- guest season, right, Will? Yep. Season of guests. And uh, we got another great one this episode. Imagine if we don't, and I'm like, we got a real dud this episode. But uh, this time we have a, a, a great one, and it's uh, Jordan White, who is a senior editor at Marvel Comics and uh, an editor of the X-Books right now. Yeah, right now he is the the editor of the, the amazing, huge uh, X-Men books that are kind of going through this great big storyline sort of engineered by Jonathan Hickman that sort of is just changing everything about the X-Men. It's like it's such a different, interesting storyline. Um as a sort of X-Men book that I think if you're a real X-Men fan, you might hate it. It might be too different for such, you. But, such a big swing. Um, but for me, as someone who's like a pretty, just a comic book fan, I'm loving it. It's really interesting and cool. And Jordan White was a delight. What a great guy. Great guy. Uh, we're two for two for our Marvel editors being just real genial guests and sort of they seem as excited to be fans as they are to like be editors. Um I gotta assume those are the two nice ones, and the rest are just real jerks. That's we have the only to assume way that everybody else at Marvel is probably a real jerk, and we got the only two nice people. That's what we assume. They they didn't say that. There's no evidence of that, but that, that's we have no stuff. proof of that. I just I can't believe there's more nice people. These guys are too nice to balance them out. Just to have it like a normal <laughs> office. I think there'd have to be a lot of real pieces of work. It was really nice though, just again to see like that the people who are working in the business and devoting a lot of their their professional careers to it also have real passion for it. And that, that was borne out by this interview. Yeah, both Jordan and Tom don't feel like guys who got this job and are just sort of like, oh, now comics are my job. They're yeah. just sort of like, yeah, now comics are my job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, our hey, previous I, guest, Tom Brevoort, who is uh, another, uh, I, he, I think he's also a senior editor. Gosh, maybe he executive is. editor. I he might be executive editor. He Master of the Marvel Arts. That's what he, master of the Marvel Arts is his official title. So um, Jordan uh, wanted to, we asked these guys to pick some comics to discuss. Uh, Jordan picked a little arc um, from 1990, Amazing Spider-Man, issues 334 through 339, Return of the Sinister Six. Yeah, this was done by David Michelini and Eric Larson, who would go on to create Savage Dragon and kind of become one of the well, we would become one of the founders of Image Comics and just like a titan of the industry. This is sort of like his first big storyline that I know of that he did. Um, definitely one of his first big Marvel ones. Also, it's the second, I talk about this a little bit in the podcast with uh, Jordan, but it's the second appearance of the Sinister Six ever. 
which as you point out in our interviews, is a really long time because their first appearance was annual number one, whatever year that was, 1963 or something. Yeah, it is. It's it just it boggles. It, it boggled my mind when I first learned it. It boggled my mind when I talked to Jordan. It boggles my mind now. Your mind is currently boggled. That they would have the Sinister Six. I mean, I, I assume the annual sold well. People still like Dr. Octopus. They still used all these villains that they He's didn't a, go. That, that's the crazy part. Again. It's not like Marvel is shy about reusing somebody. That's the weird part. Yeah. You know? It's like they looked at these characters. It's just, it's very strange. To, like now like you think of them as like the villain. It's, the masters of evil show up constantly. Yeah. Who's the bald guy in Fantastic Four, the rich bald guy who like was... Oh, uh, God, trying, Godfrey? Uh, yeah, the great, I feel like they probably brought Godfrey back more often than they brought the Sinister Six. Before the 90s. I mean, since the 90s, they brought the Sinister Six back a lot. Once once the seal was broken, the Sinister Six showed up a lot. But yeah. it is... I, I'm just astounded also that Stan didn't use them one more time. <laughs> um. Maybe, not did, like Stan. maybe did go put a kibosh on it. Oh, but then, I, then Stan wrote Marvel uh, Spider-Man for another whatever, 70 issues. I got to imagine Stan just forgot about them. That's the only thing that <laughs> makes sense to me. Because like, that's the, he forgets things constantly. If it was just him. Like he's like, ah, oh, the Sinister Six, nuts. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, so, we discussed those comics with uh, Jordan. Uh, they're really fun. They're really fun comics. Um, I had not read this series before Jordan, this, this uh, arc. Which like surprised me. I in my brain, you've read everything. Yeah, I, I was in and out a lot during this era, uh, and so I just missed this. I thought I had when he re- recommended it, and then I realized I had read the Return of the Return of the Sinister Six or whatever the next the yeah. next Return that Eric Larson both wrote Andrew. Uh, this was something Jordan liked a lot when he was a kid, and I always think it's fun to talk to somebody about the comics they loved as uh, when they were kids. Uh, it's kind of like the perfect age, of course, to fall in love with a comic book. Yeah, he, you can't ever stop loving it. He he owns like he says he owns like five copies of five different versions of it. But you also are old enough to like notice all the silliness and the flaws in it as well. But it just nothing can hurt your love of it at a certain point. Yeah, so um uh I was really excited for this interview and um I think it's it's great. I I don't know what else to say. Yeah, you should listen to it. It's going to start now. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Jordan. Uh, it's really exciting to have you uh, here on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Uh, and so uh, you're an editor. Are you your senior editor? Yeah, yeah. I've been there a long time. Okay. So they, they uh, and you oversee all the X-Men books. And mm-hmm. are you still editing Star Wars books too? No, no. I, when I shifted over to X-Men, I shifted off Star Wars. But okay. I did I did do that for the, for the big launch, which was a lot and of fun. And that was huge. Um, okay, I was going to say that seems like too much. Star Wars and X Men. Uh, X Men <laughs> yeah. alone is a huge, huge amount of books. We thought you Absolutely. were doing the X books and Star Wars, and we were going to use this podcast to talk you out of that. So we're worried, worried for your own <laughs> yeah. mental sanity. Yeah, yeah. Understand? We're doing too much. Good, good. Well, so you're you're working a manageably large amount then. We do yeah. we do want to we do want to talk to you about it as a fan, but I'm a little curious. When did you start at Marvel, like in a professional capacity? Sure, sure. I started at Marvel in. 2007 uh, hmm. as an assistant editor and worked went, worked up through assistant editor, associate editor, editor, and now senior editor. When you were first editor, uh, what was what was the family of books that you were editing in? Um, when I when I first became editor editor or yeah yeah I, yeah I don't know uh, well, wherever uh, just yeah where, where uh, did you start I guess well I started out as an assistant editor in 
in under Mark Panisha, and he was doing the Hulk books, which were at the uh-huh. time were like Hulk and and Hercules, but he right. also had a lot of other stuff like uh, the Marvel Ages books and a lot of the Marvel's best selling author books. So I worked on like the the Hedge Knight two and Anita <laughs> Blake, really random stuff like that. Were the Marvel Age books were those like those digests, uh, all, all ages ones? Yeah, they, well, they came they came out as comics first. They just uh, yeah. didn't have as big of a circulation that way. But then they got put into digests. As Man, well. I love those books. I still They're have fun. a bunch of them. They're great. They're fun. They're, I remember working on one. Uh, there was a Marvel Marvel Ages Hulk. Mar- was it Marvel Ages or Marvel Adventures? Uh, uh, Marvel, Marvel Adventures, Adventures is. They might have had both names. I think of them yeah. as Marvel Adventures. There was a Marvel Adventures Hulk that David Nakayama was drawing, and I have a. He gave me a page of it where. Where Hulk was traveling around with Rick Jones and a and a monkey, and <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. They, they For needed... some reason, he had a second sidekick in that series. <laughs> and there was a scene where they needed to make Bruce mad, so he would Hulk out, and so the monkey pokes him in the eye. And I have the page of that. <laughs> when you're yeah, the assistant were... editor, are you standing behind the editor going, "Edit this, edit that"? <laughs> like, what does an assistant editor mean? Uh, an assistant editor. So uh, the editorial team as a whole, uh, what they need to do is. Uh, make sure the book gets done in a timely fashion and that it's as high quality as possible in that time mm-hmm. um, and gets where it needs to go to the printer from from one discipline to the next. So as an assistant editor, uh, you're doing the lamer parts of that. Okay. So <laughs> you're you're making sure that files are physically moved to the uh-huh. right servers and, and in the right format or whatever. And name. In the right format. I mean, not although not usually like doing the technical formatting because that's we have a uh, a, a uh, our our bullpen, our technical bullpen that mm-hmm. does that. Yeah. But making sure that they get it, and then when they're done with it, we get it to the next per- step of the process, and making sure that keeping track of deadlines, you know, reaching out to people just to ping them on things. Hey, how's it going mm-hmm. on that? Um, and and, then not, of course, and not a, not a ton of artistic decisions. You don't get to say uh, maybe it should be sun night instead of moon night. You don't get to do stuff like that, <laughs> right? Not as much, but. <laughs> Increasingly so as you go. And Marvel especially, uh, Marvel's a very fast-paced place to work. Like, Especially when you come from other media, you find out how quickly we make comics. People are always astounded that they, they happen so quickly. And Marvel even more so. And so there's not a lot of training. There's not a lot of yeah. like, let's ease you into things. It's like you're in it and you're doing stuff immediately. Yeah. So so you do give you don't you the editor makes the artistic the big artistic direction notes but the assistant editor will like give notes of like oh i think this doesn't make sense or this looks right. a little weird you have the ear but, of exactly exactly so on my first day at marvel i called chris claremont on the phone to give Whoa. him <laughs> to give him notes sure. not my what? personal notes but our our whole oh, office's notes i wish you, you should throw in a few him. of your own i mean what's yeah. claremont now yeah hey claremont i mean first of all i don't think you get the x-men i, think, <laughs> I wish you opened with that i think that's yeah, yeah. what you should have started with go big but, um, you know but yeah, I did that. And then eventually I moved over to the X office. And when I moved to the X office, that's when I became, uh, I was still an assistant editor, but I became the editor. Assistant editors sometimes will edit books. I became the editor of Deadpool. I edited okay. Deadpool for a long time, a ton, a ton of Deadpool books. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, after doing that for a little while, that's when they found out they were getting Star Wars. They asked me if I wanted to edit it. I was like, yes, of course. Man, what a hu- that's a huge get, I feel like. Yeah, uh, I was also was like blown away. Huge creators, a big deal, Marvel getting that uh, license back. Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, enormous, I was shocked. It was an enormous launch. I knew a, like over a year before it, before the book came out. And so when I found out, 
like I couldn't tell anyone. None of the other people in the office mm. knew except my boss. Um, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it was it was crazy. So it was exciting. a crazy secret. Yeah. So that um, was probably the first big thing. I mean, Deadpool was Deadpool did really well, but then Star Wars was the first like branch of books, not including right. Deadpool. Star Wars like, is always its own level of like. But so you went from pain. Star Wars though to uh, this new Hickman era X Men books. I there was or a little bit in between. That? I came in a oh, little yeah. bit before that, um, kind of finishing up the stuff that came before, and then we had a. a, a it's complicated, but yeah. the, the, but yes, I I did a little bit before. Maybe when you came on to X Men, did you already know that Jonathan Hickman was coming, or was that there not were yet rumors? Decided? Okay, it was like we're talking to Hickman. There's a good chance he's going to come in, but we didn't know what he was going to be doing, and we didn't oh, know the scope of it. Um, at the time, I thought he was like I literally was being told he's going to do like a miniseries, and that's that's it. But we <laughs> didn't know what sense. that meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it just feels huge going from the Star Wars launch, which was one of the biggest mainstream comic launches and uh, that I can remember to this X-Men thing that is equally as big in a lot of ways. It's, yeah. It's, it's been fun. It's been, it's been a blast. And I mean, again, it's, what I, do you call this era? Do you call it like the, the uh, Krakoa era, the house of X era? What do you, yeah. The Krakoa era is probably the easiest thing. House of X. Cause at first we called everything after house of X, Dawn of X, but then right, we right. went, well now Dawn of X is over and reign of X has started. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> So yeah. just the Krakoan era is probably the simplest way since All right. they live. Did I, just, did I just get, give that name? Is that going to catch on, do you think? I, yeah. We've we've used it. I, no, come I'm on. I think it was me. Oh, I, I mean, it was you. Kevin, Kevin can take credit. Um, yeah. I, I, we said we weren't going to ask a lot about your job, but I have one other question. <laughs> That's fine. Just I in general, in general, this might be a hard question to answer. In what ways is working at Marvel like the geek's dream? And like in which ways is like, oh, yeah, this is like – what I always dreamed it would be and which way is it sort of like not glamorous because I remember like okay like as a kid reading old 60s Marvel and you read like you know Stan soapbox and stuff you picture the Mary Marvel bullpen mm-hmm. like a bunch of friends hanging out and then you then you get a little bit older you're like oh Jack Kirby like lived in Long Island you know what I mean yeah and like yeah. mailed the pages in and uh but you know Stan was creating the the myth of this uh fun gang of whatever um so similarly, how, how is working at Marvel a dream and how is it and, – and then ruin the dream for me, okay. I guess. All right. I'll do my best. Well, I mean, yeah. first of all, there's the easiest part that makes it a dream in that I read comic books for a living. So – and I read them before anybody else does and I get to say, nah, I don't like this part. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I, which I think I, – I, I, listen, I know for a fact because I hear from them that every comics fan believes they are better at that than I am. So I know they all know. <laughs> um, so that's the first part. The second part is, yeah <sighs> – uh, it, it may shock you to learn that nobody goes into comics to become rich. They only <laughs> go into comics because they love it yeah. on some level. So it has very much a, a, you have that bond with everybody because you all are in doing something that you love and working on something you love. So there yeah. is very much a, a kinship and a family feel uh, amongst like the editors at Marvel. And we, you know, back when we, back when we had an office that we were in, yeah. Uh, you know, we would do fun things. We would we would go to lunch a bunch of us every day or every day or so. We would uh you know, I don't know, all sorts of fun well, things. I mean, we, it's we personal. It's things. like you care yeah. about you're you are invested in the product. I mean, I, it's one of the ways that people experience a very fundamental level of happiness, which is to be emotionally invested in what you're paying attention to, yes. as opposed to just working in a corporation and being 
grateful for a steady paycheck. You care about the product. You're like, oh, yeah. I want the comics to be good. And, and everybody around me wants that too. Exactly. Also, we're, we're fighting for something we believe in. We're not just, yeah, we're not just doing a job. Yeah. It also must've just been cool walking into that office. I got to go to the office a few times. I used to help uh, Lorraine sink out oh. uh, with some of her video things. So I got to go to the Marvel office once in a while and just walking in, seeing the right. giant mural, the yep. big statues of superheroes everywhere. It's just sort of like, uh, even though it, it's mostly just cubicles and offices, like it's still like it's a little cooler than that because of that sort of stuff just laying around. For sure, for sure, and you know, and you get to talk to the creators of yeah. the books. No, like I I've, I, well, <laughs> when 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 you when you have the job is what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> like like I have worked with, I have worked with a, at least a handful of my favorite creators of all time, like yeah. people that I was in awe of for years, and then I have help them make a comic book. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so other than telling Claremont he's wrong, <laughs> uh, who are some of the creators that you got to talk to or, or work with that you, just a few, I don't need. Well, a couple to, of the big ones. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, an easy one is Eric Larson, uh, was sure. one of my favorite creators. Who we're going to talk time. about later. Yeah. Uh, we got to, I got, I, 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 I bugged him for a million years and eventually got to do a book with him. Uh, he what, did he, did, what did he do with you? Captain America, the end. Oh, great. Yes, yes. Uh, so it was a one shot, but it was super fun. And, and I mean, because like at some point I was like, but come on, you'd want to do something at Marvel, wouldn't you? And he was like, at the time I was like Deadpool and Star Wars. And he was like, no, like call me when you're working on something that was a Kirby product. <laughs> <laughs> call me when you have a Kirby character. And I was like, okay. And so then we came up with this, the end thing that we, well, came up with it, decided yeah. to do another round of them. Yeah. And uh, I went, let's see it's if a great fit. Yeah, it's a great fit for uh, someone like that. Another one was, uh, and this is a, again very completely out of left field, not similar at all. Is Adam Warren? Oh yeah, uh, I love Adam Warren. Uh, he, if you don't know, he's a Kevin. Who's Adam Warren? <laughs> he's a manga-styled artist yeah. who did a bunch of books called The Dirty Pair back in the day, and now he does a series called Empowered. And I reached out to him when I was an assistant editor. Um, we did a uh, an assistant editor. Well, I, was, I want to say one shot, but it was actually a two shot it's called the Marvel Assistant Size Spectacular, where the, the it was a throwback to the assistant editor month where all the assistant editors at the time yeah. got to do whatever they wanted. I remember that. And for this one shot or for this two shot, again, I think of it as a one shot, but it wasn't. Uh, my story was I reached out to Adam Warren and we did uh, Galacta, the daughter of Galactus. Okay. <laughs> and uh, he wrote it and it was a blast. And I've worked with him a couple of times since then. And it's always a great oh, time. Oh man, what that a dream. So I cool. love that. Absolutely. Did, uh, this is a way back. He did, was it Live Wires or some mm -hmm. sort of mini? Oh man. Live Wires. That, I love that. That was one of my favorite things see, he did. I told you, Kevin's read everything. He did for um, me later a, uh, when we were doing A plus X, the, an Avenger teams up with an X character. Yes, you're right. Book. Yes. He did a uh, Scarlet Witch Domino <laughs> uh, team up, which was super fun, playing with all probabilities and stuff. It was really mm -hmm. neat. Um, That's real so fun. cool. Well, thank you. Um, so let's. Oh, but I didn't ruin it for you. Oh yeah, ru yeah, ruined it for <laughs> me. Well, you, 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 you implied that you were broke, uh, or like, oh or sure, not, not not as rich as oh, the right. properties are glamorous. I mean, oh as, yeah, no, there's no, there, there's there's not, yeah, uh, it's it doesn't make you rich for sure. But the, I mean, the the fact is that at the end of the day, it is still an office job and it is still a lot of, so there's office politics, which are yeah. never fun. They're the worst part of all jobs in sure. involving offices. And uh, there's a lot of uh, 
high pressure uh, deadlines because you're working with creators who you love to work with most of the time. Sometimes you might not. You might yeah. work with one you don't like, but you work with creators you love to work with, but they're creators and creators are not always timely. So you have to make things happen uh, on tight deadlines sometimes or and or get in trouble because you didn't make a deadline, which is no fun. Uh it, listen, yeah. I, I can't ruin it too much because if I ruin it too much, I'll think I don't want the job anymore. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> have you ever, and I don't need names here either, but have you ever had like a creator mad at you oh, yeah. that you loved? Oh, like heartbreaking. That I loved? Heartbreaking? Yeah. Hmm. Like I can just imagine like working with a creator I really liked and just being like, oh, Alan Davis hates me now. Yeah, that okay. That stinks. <laughs> or just like, even if it's not true, just like that feeling that this person I looked For up sure. to. That you have to be like the bad guy toward, yeah, you yeah. have to be the buzzkill towards someone that you like or whatever. Yeah, know. unfortunately that that definitely has happened and it that stinks, that does, it stinks. Yeah. I mean, there are people, yeah, people whose work I love who it didn't go as well with them as I yeah. would have liked. Well, that would, that's the part that I would be afraid of, I think. Yeah. Uh, Disciplining I anybody, I, 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 I'm a complete beta in every aspect of my life, having to, <laughs> having to bring down the hammer in any way and, and to any degree would bum me out. I'm glad that I live a life of complete passivity. Um, <laughs> All right, let's geek out a little bit. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about Jordan the yeah. comics. Enough nerd. of this cool talk. Yeah, this has been cool hip stuff. Let's really geek out. <laughs> yeah, Jordan, sure. what, uh, what's your what is your story just as a comics fan? How'd you get into it, and what kind of comics geek are you? Are you like the collect it all, you know, well, number everything? Let's hear it. So I started out uh, so young that I don't know when it was. Um, my father read comic books uh, when he was young, mm-hmm. and he did not. I don't think he was like reading them for himself when I was young, but he started buying them for me before I can remember that. So I remember certain like, okay, so I was born in 1979, Mm -hmm. but I remember distinctly uh, being so excited about Craven's last hunt. And that means I was absurdly young when it came out. Let me look at when it came out. You'd be six, I think, or something like that. Yeah. It looks like, yeah, it looks like, well, it says 87 here. So, so yeah, I was seven years old, which is crazy, but I know I read, I was seeing a rough series for a seven-year-old. That's how it's dark. (laughs) Spidey gets like buried alive and like there's, there's spiders crawling all over him in the grave, I think. Uh, yeah, there's... yeah, and well, and, and then it ends with a suicide. So that's yeah, always that's right. uh, crazy. But um, you know, I remember it though, and also I remember, good taste. Was... That's one of me and Kevin's absolute favorite yeah, I mean, arcs. It's of one all of the best, time. absolutely. Well, and and also, and this is a cheesy thing because it's it's being excited by the marketing. But the fact that it crossed over from book to book was at the time so thrilling and mind blowing yes. to me as a kid that I was like, no, we have to go get that one because I mostly was reading was just looking at Amazing. Spider- Spider-Man, but it was like, now I got to get all of them. This is crazy. <laughs> it's a weird thing uh, for completists, uh, which I am not, but I talk to people who like have complete runs. I'm like, oh, that's weird that you have like a complete run of amazing, but then you might not have a complete run of Craven's Last Hunt. Right, right. Uh, uh, which uh, is part of why I can't be a completist. I think his storylines are more important to me, but yeah, uh, that was cool that it sort of crossed over and it was sort of this special, very special thing that is rarely done like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, uh, so that's the first time I remember being like hugely, hugely into a comic going like, oh my God, like I need to know what happens. But I was already experiencing them before that. And, um, Spider-Man was definitely my in to superheroes. Spider-Man is is. so great. Um, I've, I'm okay. I'm, I'm super not religious. I'm like super, super not religious, but 
when I talk to people about religion and things that they get from religion, it made me realize that's Spider-Man for me. Like, yeah, I got all of the like moral teachings and and then at some points like community and felt like part of something like Spider-Man means so much to me. I, I actually relate to that a lot, even though that sounds sort of like such an overstatement. But I remember we have a <laughs> we have a younger brother named Brian. I remember. We were he was in college and he was telling me some story about playing intramural basketball and almost getting into like a fight with a guy, being really upset. Uh, Kevin, I don't know if you know the story. What's well, not? And then Brian I've was like, him, "I've heard similar stories from him." Anyway, go on. And then he like walked away from it. He's like, "Nah, I had to be Spider Man. Like, I can't like I can't like give in to the darker emotions. I got to be Spider Man and be above it." But I knew what he meant. Like, I knew in the moment you're being inspired by your the good characters of these stories that you love to behave better. Yeah, absolutely. I relate to it. I think I also think about the idea of just sort of like uh, when it's sort of like whatever, like a politics. I'll think about it a lot where people are like, well, they're doing this, so we got to do it, too. And it's sort of like my thought is like we got to be better than them because that's what a hero would be. Like, it's just like and mm-hmm, that's where it comes mm-hmm. from. It's like Spider-Man's yeah, not going to kill somebody because Carnage is going to try to kill him. Yeah. Right. He always would find a way. It's yeah. like, no, I'm not carnage that's the difference i love it like those sort of thoughts always are in my head of like no to be a good person you have to be better than the bad people (laughs) you absolutely did not say this but if you start a church of spider-man we'll go okay all right (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna go anyway so you you were gonna do it were you were you marvel and dc were you like an omnivore were you reading tons of stuff i was willing to read anything like i would read any comic you put in front of me but really Mm -hmm. i was seeking out marvel uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And Marvel was always my I mean, so like my at my grandparents' house. Uh, if I like begged them, they would go up and get a box of comics out of the attic that was like the comics from my my father and my uncle, and I would look through them. And so they would have a lot of DC comics there, and that was my early DC comics experience. But but when I was buying comics, I was mostly getting Marvel comics. Um, Spider Man was the big one. At some point, I made a shift to. Uh, not shift. I added in uh, Excalibur, um, which I think I first experienced from somebody giving uh, an issue for Halloween, uh, giving oh, out an issue for Halloween. And then I, but I just got super into that. That was my way into the X world. Although I, I didn't honestly go that deep into the X world. Uh, once in a while, I would dip in. But Excalibur, I was all about. Hmm. Um, so those were the two big ones for me: Spider Man and Excalibur. And then, um. At that point, uh, we're talking about when I'm like 10, 11. Yeah. Still so young. <laughs> yeah, listen. Yeah. But then that's when Image happened. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I I was already a huge Eric Larson fan from uh, from Spider-Man. He, he's, he's definitely my favorite Spider-Man artist. And I know there's a lot of great Spider-Man artists. Yeah. But he's sandwiched he's between favorite. McFarlane and Bagley yep. in, a, in the run. So it's uh, he's great. It's just... You know, he probably doesn't get favored a lot because of that sort of. He's got stiff competition. He's got stiff competition for a Spidey artist mantle. Just even in that near vicinity, in that era of reading comics, like before you even expand to like the Ramitas and and Ditko. And and I mean, before I before I fell for him completely, I was all about Tom McFarlane, like I think everybody was at the time. Well, unless, yeah, except for the people sure. who hated him. But I was I was like such a Tom McFarlane fan. And I, when, I, when I first saw Eric Larson, I was like, he's not as good as Tom McFarlane. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he won me over probably in a good part because of the story we're about to read today or talk about oh, today. Exciting. Um, so can, then, can, can I interrupt? And here's my yeah, one thing. When I was reading, uh, I didn't, I was sort of on and off with Spider-Man at that point when McFarlane and Eric Larson were there. 
And I would get some of the McFarlane issues and I would be disappointed when it was a Larson issues. And here was the main reason I remember having, he had Spider-Man squint. Oh yeah. His lenses oh, would yeah. squint and McFarlane <laughs> didn't. And if Larson inked McFarlane, he would squint. And I was always like, I don't like that. I don't like him squinting. I think he was <laughs> like the it, first it, artist to have the, the, the whites of his eyes move, which again, makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it bugged emotionally. me. Way more yeah. than it should have. <laughs> and it's such a comic book fan thing to stick on. Like, yeah. Um, I do not like when the lenses squint. I'm a no squinty lenses yeah. fan, but uh, you know, well, I, the I've... movies now went with it, right? The movies yeah. let them do it. Uh, so, the video people, games. people went nuts for it, and I was like, no, I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like him having lenses that move. I think he can emote without it. Uh, also, Kevin, this times out, if I remember right, you would have been like around 16, like when that stuff yeah. was happening. So you were uh, a cool kid. You know what I mean? Like that's like the most judgmental era of a person's life is when they're in their late teens. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's fair. So I, uh, yeah, when, when, when Image happened, I was just the right age to like be so excited and I bought all the big Image premieres and um, I did enjoy Savage Dragon the most and I, I still love it to this day. Uh, even though it's gotten very different than it was back then. Yeah. Um, but I, at the time I was, I was sometimes, I mean, this is all of my life up to this point. I will, anytime I am anywhere with anyone in my family, I will be like, can we see if there's a comic book store nearby? Cause I will <laughs> go to, uh, I will go yeah. to it and I will buy anything you will allow me to buy or buy for me really. Yeah. Um, but then, I, then when the image stuff happened, they were also at the time, I don't know if you remember, they had all the, comics by mail of mm. like what were they called entertainment this month yeah and yeah, yeah. You, and i was started i started ordering from those mm-hmm. um i think i would get back issues that way they would have like runs of things that i mm-hmm. would missed and i'd be like oh i can fill in these gaps this seems easier and i was in college so i wasn't traveling much so i was like this way i can get the books i was missed. i mean that's a that's a that's a huge thing that comic book fans of today will never know uh the the yeah. the, the, the the hunt that I was always trying to, I mean, especially with when I, Excalibur, Excalibur was Spider-Man. When I started reading Spider-Man, it was in the 300s. Like there was, or it was, it was actually late 200s. It was too much. I was never going to collect all of Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Excalibur, when I started reading, was in like the 30s or something. So I was like, yeah. I'm going to get these. Right. And so I would search, oh, this here's one issue that I have never seen. And nowadays yeah. you just go, well, first of all, you buy the collected editions. Yeah. Yeah. And second of all, if you don't want that, you could just go online and buy yeah. whatever issue you want yeah. digitally. Yeah. Like I, back uh, issues are just gone. They're just not a thing. They're not gone. They're, back they're issues, still around, but it's also, not what it used to be. Yeah. Well, before trades, like back issues were, or really dollar bins were how I would like catch books I'd skip to be like, oh, I didn't read Resurrection Man, but I heard good things about it. Here's mm-hmm. in the dollar bin. I'll buy a few issues. Oh, now I need it all. Yep. And now I have the hunt, which is sort of a fun thing, especially for those like short run things like that series. Uh but like I would have never tried it otherwise if it wasn't like sitting somewhere where I had access to it. And I got that same way. Like I used to have a job where I traveled and the first thing I would do when I got to a new city is find the local comic shops, poke my head in, judge yep. them instantly and, and, <laughs> and hit their uh, dollar bins. Some were great, some were terrible. Exactly. Exactly true. Exactly true. So, so then I kept, I kept doing that. I kept just reading whatever I could around, you know, I don't know that somewhere around there is when I got, a regular comic shop and I would have like a, a box that they would put stuff in for me. And um, I still wasn't buying too much cause I was a kid and I didn't have that much money, but right around, and this is kind of a common story right around the time I graduated high school and went to college, I sort of lost the ability to collect regularly. Mm-hmm. And 
maybe once in a while I'd go, I'd be in a store and I'd go, oh, look, here's a trade I'll, I'll pick up. Or you lost the ability, thing. meaning like you didn't have discretion, didn't have disposable income. You're not near a comic both. shop or both, okay. both. Yeah. Or, or rather it turns out I was near a comic shop, but I didn't know. I didn't, and I didn't have a car to get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all sorts of, all, all those yeah. things, all those things. And so I kind of fell out of it. I, I, I definitely fell out of the monthly part of yeah. it. Um, and then what happened to me was the opposite thing that happens to, as what happens to every other person that I've ever met, which is I met my wife and we got each other back into comics. Well, yeah. So I mean, well, she wasn't my wife yet, obviously. Um, <laughs> that would have been weird if you met her and she already was. <laughs> we started dating and, uh, she was into uh, totally different kinds of comics than I was ever into. She was into more of the artsy stuff and, um, and some manga as well. And the big one that was her biggest comic was strangers in paradise. Okay. And oh, so yeah. she was like, you have to read strangers in paradise. And I was like, oh, all right, I'll check it out. And reading that, reading her collection of that got me back into it in a big way. And so the next thing I did was I reached out to, uh, well, I didn't reach out. I, I went on the website of Eric Larson of Savage Dragon. And at the time they had a store where you could buy all the issues. And I went, there's the last issue I got. Here's the, the next like three or four years worth of books. Let me just buy them all. I bought all of the books I had missed of that. That's great. That's And that's what got me back into just being like, now from now on, I buy that book every month. And then it snowballed so much that I was eventually getting all of not literally all, but probably 90% of all the Marvel books. <laughs> At which point, the Batman 10, 10 cent comic came out. Oh, man. Yeah. And I went, it's 10 cents. I can't sure. not buy that. Yeah. So I bought that, got into that storyline, and that snowballed to a point where I was buying, again, probably not even 90%, maybe 70% of all the DC books, too. There was a time <laughs> when I was in... I was in grad school and my wife and we, me and my wife, we were living up in Binghamton, New York, where I was going to grad school. And I was, we were shopping at the local shop there, Fat Cat Books. And I was spending $100 a month. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Oh, no. Let's try it again. A week. Yeah. $100 a week on comic books. You're paying rent basically at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was absurd. And I mean, and again, that was, that was probably almost 20 years ago now. So that was more than a hundred dollars is now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so much more than I buy now. That's yeah, so much more than I buy Was that Batman? When was that? Was that after? That's after No Man's Land, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was after. Cause I did end up getting No Man's Land in trade. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to uh, get it in timeline. I remember that book. Those, I love those 10 cent, nine cent, whatever. They were all different prices. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'll try these. Then they're yeah. generally big launches with great creators. I ended up at one point. I ended up buying three hundred uh, Spider-Man comics from a guy, uh, a guy I knew up there who was, you know, getting rid of his collection. But he was like, because it was all, it was mostly from the stuff that I had missed. It had some stuff that I had, but then mostly stuff I had missed because I'd stopped reading. And he was like, you, "Listen, I'll sell it to you, but I only want to sell all of it to you." And I was like, "Yeah, all right." So I bought. Yeah. I think it was something like three hundred bucks for like three hundred bucks. It was a very good deal. Mm -hmm. um, I've made sales like that. I've just like, I got to get rid of these boxes. So there's good <laughs> stuff. And I know there's garbage. I can't throw them away. I can't be that guy. I can't do it. <laughs> but I, um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I've spent so much of my life. I worked at that comic store for a while, uh, which was a lot of fun. 
And fat cat. Yep, fat cat. Yeah, I would hire you too. I'd be like, "Do you want to buy this place?" <laughs> <laughs> it might be a Although, bad business deal. We might yeah, go into business lose our best sales. customer. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, here's the thing. Oh, but but that's the thing that it doesn't because when I worked there, I had a discount. That didn't mean I spent less. It just meant I got more for the hundred dollars. <laughs> I love it. It was pretty um, absurd. And then the I moved. Most, oh, go ahead. Keep I, I was just going to say. Then I moved down to New York when my wife. Uh, we, we we both finished uh, our college stuff there, and she was going to go to medical school. And she said, "Where do you want to go?" And I, "Where do you, where should I go?" And I said, "Ideally, we'd move to New York, and I could get a job in comics." And she did. And within a couple of months, I was working at Marvel. That's so, great. At that yeah. time, DC and Marvel were both there, right? Yep, they were. They were yeah, both two there. two shots. That's great. Uh, That's exciting. What's the most surprising thing you've been a fan of? Like, what is something that you love that doesn't, right? Because uh, any Marvel book would not be sure. a surprise. Or I don't know, maybe there'd probably be some Marvel books that'd be a surprise. Sure. So, um, okay, well, here's here's an interesting one uh, that I've been thinking about recently because when we talked about doing this podcast, you said yeah. you pick out something and and we'll talk about it. And I have actually done a podcast that had the exact same conceit. Come on sure. and tell us a book you love and we'll talk oh, about wait, it. Wait, 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 whoa, whoa. We got to these guys. <laughs> I, podcast. I don't where you know. talk about something you love. Hang on a second. Well, that's well, it's thing. a it's a delightful podcast. I don't honestly. I'm not sure if they're still on. It was called Matt and Brett Love Comics. And here's yeah. the oh, thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Brett I have White. to feel. Yep, I love Brett. I have to feel terrible about it because I did a bad thing to them. <laughs> because I said I'm a really big fan of Alan Moore, and I yeah. said, you know what I've been meaning to reread is the book Neonomicon. Oh yeah. Oh Which my gosh. I, what adore. an incredibly harsh book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And they were not they were not ready for or expecting that. It's oh, a, yeah. if you don't know it, it's a well, first of all, it's an incredibly bleak book. Yes. That, that it's a book that it's very Lovecraftian. Really lo oh yeah. Which uh, more, that, more is good at that. The feeling I get at the end of that book, which I think it, it does really well, and kind of is a thrilling feeling, is the feeling of going, Yeah, 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 all of humanity should die. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's that's the happy ending. Everybody should. This right. should all. What if what if the Lovecraftian <laughs> doomed apocalypse was a good thing? What if that's something right. we should be rooting for? Um, and they yeah. But along they the way, incredibly it. violent things go down yeah. and really Hor dark horrible things happen. Things. Yeah, horrible. Things. Even for Brett, is, Brett is one of the most positive people in the world. I know, and, and I, you broke him. I I feel terrible because I think that yeah, he was like, I can't recommend this book. Like, obviously, I think it's well made, but it, I, it's it's. It's awful. It's horrible. It's not horrible. He didn't say that. Anyway, uh, I, it is, I feel bad about it. Yeah, it's yeah, funny. yeah. Um, okay, let's... Um, it's a great book, though. <laughs> it is, uh, it's a really affecting book. I'll say that. Yes. And um, But it is not for the faint of heart. And no. if, you, if you had qualms about more... This will make you like him less. Like he's yeah. It won't. It won't. Yeah. It if won't you're like, oh, I don't like how Moore is too cavalier about uh, about uh, sexual assault and violence. This book will convince you that you are right. <laughs> and um, but it also is a page turner. It's got the more magic of just like a really gripping story. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, okay, let's. I'm trying to think if there's anything else really surprising. Uh, one of my other favorites. I mean, nothing that surprising. That's probably the most surprising because it's. It's like the darkest and most yes horrific it's, it's thing also, you can it's get also, to. It's not a common Moore title. It's like it's for right. more. I mean, there's no such thing as an obscure Alan Moore thing because he's so famous. I, I but think for that's him, a little obscure, though. It's on pretty the niche, right? 
Yeah, it's like it's not in like the top ten Alan Moore things you would list if you're just listing the stuff that he's done. Maybe not even in top twenty. It's I think anything after you, his ABC Comics run is less known generally. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, because I, I I'm a really big fan of his. Uh, I like pretty much everything of his I've read, although I have not read his novels. My I bought my father. I I don't know if I should say this. I bought my father his most recent novel, uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem uh, which is for, like a thousand pages or something. My my father was so mad at me. Because he has never put stopped reading a book. Yeah. And so he was determined I will not stop. He he would make it through this book, but he did not enjoy it. And so he was yeah. he was he was very aggravated. Yeah. Uh, it definitely seems like Alan Moore unleashed with no editor, just like write everything you want, and uh, he did it. Uh, I, I haven't read it either. I don't. I, I can't. I have not. I've not read any of his novels. Um, okay. Um, uh, Jordan, thank you. We're going to take a short break and then we'll let's get into the comic you wanted to talk about. Kevin, what do you think about that? That's a good idea. I was going to say we should take a break. Yep. Uh, so we'll just take a <laughs> quick break right now and then we're going to talk about the Sinister Six. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we're back. Uh, so now we're going to talk about the comics you chose to talk about, Jordan. Uh, and this is Amazing Spider-Man. I don't have the issue numbers right in front of me. I'll get him. Well, uh, uh, 334 is, to 339. This is the return of the Sinister Six from Amazing Spider-Man by David, I think it's Michelini, I believe, so. uh, and Eric Larson. So sometime around 1990, these these came out, uh, I think. And um, yeah, this is the return of a of a group of supervillains. The Sinister Six first was coined in the Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number One with Stanley and Steve Ditko. Well, and the- this is the second appearance of that team, right? Yeah, yeah. That's Which a is- huge long wait. It is. And it's crazy, too, because so this was my first introduction to them. I hadn't read the annual at the time. And it podcast seemed like over. such a cool podcast big... over <laughs> no. because he hadn't read the annual when he was 10 or whatever. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you start with the gospel of Ditko. <laughs> okay. There were no ba- there were no reprints back then. Uh, so yes. you find a way. <laughs> So I, I, I like they seem like such a big deal. And if you were to judge versus uh, judge by like the time that's come since then, they they come back fairly regularly. Like the Sinister yeah. Six is much more frequent of a thing since this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. No, I guess this made more of an impact than the first yeah. one did. I guess I have a four year old son, and I uh, make him watch the spectacular Spider Man cartoon. Uh, and, and it's a Sinister Six episode. And it's a really good episode. And I, for some reason, that had me go down the Wikipedia hole of six, uh, the Sinister Six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I did that, I was like, I couldn't believe what a gap there was from the first appearance to this yeah. appearance, which I had not read until uh, this week for this podcast. I'd read this, the second appearance after this. Ah, okay. The uh, Revenge the, of the Sinister the Six. The third appearance, I guess. But I was like, what? 
restraint from Stan and everyone else not to use the <laughs> Sinister Six again. The Frightful yeah. Four show up all the time and they're not as cool. Yeah, they're not. But 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 I think the one re- thing you can say about it is it it is pure purely coolness that brings them together. Like the fact yeah. that they're working together doesn't actually make any sense. As right. a kid, I yeah. 100% bought it. But as I read it again this time, I was going, why does Ock need these guys? Yeah. But it's a it's a name, right? The, it's a supervillain group name that is not reused for if this is 90s, almost 30 years. Yeah, yeah. it's a good name. For 30 years they sat on a name. That's true. It's that not true. like I, a, mean, I can't imagine any, like there's 12 Spider-Mans now. <laughs> you yeah. So yeah. not have a even you had zero sinister sixes for a while. That's crazy they, to me. They they probably I mean at this point there's probably like, you know, 60 people who have been in the Sinister Six. Like every villain of Spider-Man. Yeah, sure, has at been this in point, yeah. Sinister Six. So yeah, no, but at this point it was so, and the other thing is this is another one like Craven it's another one that was a multi-part story, which mm-hmm. at the time was somewhat rare. It was still kind of a new thing. Mm-hmm. And it came out uh, twice a month because it was over the summer right. and they double shipped the book. So I remember, again, being a kid at the time, I didn't even buy all my comics at comic stores. That I would be, I, I have a distinct memory of being in an airport on a summer vacation and uh, both on the way to the vacation and the way back going like, we got to stop at all the newsstands and see if they've got the next issue. Um, and finding <laughs> the last, I think the last issue in that, uh, in that way. Oh, I have, cool. this is a comic series I love. It's formative to me because it, it got me so excited at the time. I know that I have at least four different physical versions of it in my house <laughs> right now. I have, <laughs> I have the, the original issues. I have this one, which is the Epic collection, which is what I read it off of. I have the omnibus of Eric Larson's Spider-Man because, as I said, he's my favorite Spider-Man artist. Okay. And then I also, because I work at Marvel and sometimes get duplicates of things, I have a trade that is just a Sinister Six trade that has the annual and this story in it, which I've given to my my three-year-old son, and he likes (laughs) looking at. Uh, So I love it. Um, That's insane, by the way. Congratulations (laughs) for being crazy. Although I do the same thing with comics I love. I have like four or five different versions of a lot of the Ditko storylines, so I can't. Yeah, I can't critique. I have like five <laughs> copies of Love and Rockets comics, which is strange, but um, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Sometimes when you love a comic, you just buy it every time it shows up. Absolutely. Let's so let's get into. Should we say what it is for the people listening? So this is just like generally, yeah. what is the story we're talking about here? Jordan, do you want to tell us that? Like, can you just just what? very very broadly what's the story here the story is dr octopus starts getting the sinister six back together which is made up of uh, electro well himself electro the vulture the sandman mysterio and because craven is dead at this point he replaces him again completely randomly with the hobgoblin like again it's this is the the, the, when my when my brain is reading it now going why does he do i don't (laughs) (laughs) but he just gets them together Yep. He tells them he's got a uh, a very uh, uh, mission that's going to have them rule the world. And what it is, is they're going to shoot this. (laughs) The mission is insane. The mission is crazy. Spider-Man, Peter Parker, is working on a a thing that they're going to launch into space to to study ley lines. And they're going to release this mist that will let them chart ley lines, which are magnetic lines on Mm -hmm. the globe. And um, Doc says, uh, I'm going to put a poison in there instead and and if and then when we're going to shoot it up into space that when they launch it we're going to say to everybody we've put poison in there and if you don't 
let us rule the world, we're going to kill everyone. Yeah. Which is such a ridiculous <laughs> demand, right? Rule <laughs> the world. <laughs> yeah. Like there is no mechanism and like the logistics of that would be difficult. It's like, well, first we have to establish a governing body that all countries recognize. Like this is how much, <laughs> how much work is Doc Doc in for if they said yes? A lot. Is, 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 like, is he going to assume trade, uh, you know, trade regulations? Is he going to... Well, spoilers, guys. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's not the real plot. He's sure. double-crossing. <laughs> That's just the, what he it, sells these rubes. It is the plot that the Vulture was like, this yes. sounds good. I <laughs> yes. like this idea. They all signed know, on for it. Vulture and Electro uh, uh, are like, yes. Not, not Sandman. Sure but thing. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. A few of them were less into it, but most of them were like, oh, ruling the world? That's what we're in for? Yeah, Hobgoblin. The Vulture is a diamond thief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hobgoblin sitting there going, I, I recently got turned into a demon. But yeah. yeah, sure. Let's 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 blackmail the world into letting us reign. Let's sure. I've yeah, got yeah. that's my new concern. I mean, well, um, one thing about superhero super villains is they just really like to work in groups sometimes. Sure. Mm-hmm. So they just they, they yeah, they get lonely. They just they're into being social. So they're just sort of like whatever the gang's doing, yeah, let's take over the world with this poison uh extortion right. or whatever it is. Right, right. So, so yes. Yeah, so, what's the twist in this? This the is twist if you is, haven't read these comics, we're spoiling everything oh, as yeah. usual, uh, listeners. The twist is that uh, when he, when the, when the the satellite goes up there, Doc immediately just releases the quote unquote poison, and they're like, "What?" And then his uh, his real plot comes out, which is also pretty crazy. Also, also crazy. crazy, yes. Which is that the the gas isn't a poison; it's a cure. But it's a <laughs> quote in quotes. It's a cure for addiction to cocaine, <laughs> meaning. Not that it makes you not addicted, but that if you have cocaine now, it will create a violent and t- terrible reaction in you. And he has the only cure for this cure, the, the, the thing that right. will counter it. So if you want the privilege of doing cocaine, right. <laughs> you have to pay Dr. Octopus for it. It is the most, it I know this is, so is a convoluted. 1990 book, but it is the most 1980s plot. It is like he saw... You know, Wall Street, you know, like uh, a bunch of cocaine <laughs> doing like rich guys in a movie and was like, all right, this is the biggest scourge. And there was like a crack uh, epidemic. That'd be something sure. that was in the headlines at this time was like the uh, gangs selling crack and violence around that. And so that that's like that was a zeitgeisty thing in 1990-ish. But uh, I think even in the real world, if somebody went to like President Bush the first and was like, okay, I got a thing. It's going to, we're going to put a thing in the atmosphere. Anybody who does cocaine will like throw up a lot. So like they'll stop doing cocaine. I think people would be like, no, no, we're not going to do that. Which is why it's especially absurd. Cause like one of the last things that happens is, so they then find out that this cure is also destroying the ozone to make it a little bit more late eighties. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) It's destroying the ozone rapidly. So Spider-Man has to get that that counter that cure cure whatever you want to call it and put that up into space and stop it and peter parker at the very end of the story is like i know like i know we we won because the 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 cure was worse than the disease but i i can't help but think what if and peter parker's sitting there going yeah it would have been great if we could make everyone who does cocaine throw up that that would have been such a happy ending if only it could have worked Spidey was very anti-cocaine, you know. Yeah, he's anti-cocaine. Uh, he likes some drugs, but he has uh, anti-cocaine. He's it. It is ozone layer, anti-cocaine. This is very. Uh, if it was like anti, if it was like pro grunge music, this would have been like the most of its time. Like a final chemical was thrown into the atmosphere to make everybody wear flannel and like turn the distortion up on their guitars or something. 
Yeah, the, the plan makes no sense when it's revealed in the, this, the five members of the Sinister Six sort of storm off mad that they won't be rulers of the world. It's also, that's also ridiculous to me. They're like, oh, we just cured cocaine. I'm out of here. <laughs> it's like, none of this made sense to you guys. I, all right. But it, uh, but, but it, but what it lacks in, in sense, it makes up in cool because it's just so neat seeing these villains right. together. That's the, deal with the, that's the deal with the Sinister Six is the logistics are insane and unjustifiable, but the result and the visuals of just seeing all of these villains together is a blast. And they do the thing that they didn't do the first time, which I listened to your podcast about the first time, by the way. I know you guys pointed this out very because it was so obvious. They didn't attack him at once. Right. In this one, they actually do. They right. all fight Spider-Man at the same time. Right. In the yeah. original one, Doc Ock goes, hey, Spider-Man can defeat us each individually, so let's all team up and fight him individually. Is <laughs> <laughs> this plot in that comic, and it doesn't work. Well, uh, Spider-Man's a, a little more tired when it's over. In the original <laughs> annual, the Steve Ditko, uh, Stanley annual, that, you know, it's an annual, right? It's just like a fun story. They're not really, I don't think they're necessarily worried about it being this momentous plot or whatever, but like, it's an excuse to draw these villains. And so you get these, these terrific portraits of each villain in the original annual. Cause he's because they're fighting one at a time. And we get that in this series also. You, you do that. So again, I read this before the annual. So, so I didn't know it at the time, but when I finally did get that annual and read it, I realized how much of what they did here, not that much, but how in this, they did yeah. a bunch of references. They did oh, yeah. the full page splashes of every villain. And they did the ridiculous cameos for no yes. reason. <laughs> when when Doctor Strange shows up in this uh, this story uh, for a panel, and then goes, "Well, I, I'm not here for any reason. I'm out of here." It's like, what? Why is? And I was like, "Oh, that's the same exact thing from the annual where Doctor Strange sort of like his ghost walked through Flash Thompson or something. I forget what yeah. exactly happened." Nova uh, just it's flies such a funny by. homage to the yeah. Nova is just there for literally no reason at all. I think all. Eric Larson's a big Nova fan. He is. He is. So I think that might be why he flew. That's why that one was that character was chosen. But the pointless cameos must have been a Michelini decision. I mean, I yeah. Iron Man just shows up and then leaves. Captain America shows up and leaves. Like it's yeah. It's ridiculous. The FF on TV talking yep. about the plot. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> that's very Stanley annual to just like plug all of the other titles in the story. It didn't um, have. It didn't reference what books you could buy to follow them, though. Yeah, that, this one. This one was less a plug and more just <laughs> remember this, kids, and none of and you didn't because no one had read it. Yeah, uh, but um, it should be required in all Sinister Six stories. Is full page splashes and pointless cameos should be the full required. page splashes was such a thrill to see. Like if you Google Steve Ditko Spider Man to see Ditko art. The thing that comes up are those splash pages in the annual. Yeah, like that the, Electro the, one comes up so quickly. His drawing of Spidey fighting Electro is so beautiful and perfect. And the full-page splashes in this series are also awesome. See, oh, yeah, here's his, the... Eric Larson's Electro is pretty good, too. It's also terrific. Yeah. yeah. Electro, is such a, Electro is such a great comic book character that just wouldn't work like like you <laughs> couldn't do this costume in real life and not have it look like the dumbest thing you've ever seen but in a comic book it looks great you mean yeah. the the lightning bolts face yeah. the starfish the mask thing? is is both awesome and ridiculous yeah it would look I, I mean i can't i can't even imagine it would look at all a lot of times in movies when they they don't do the uh, uh costumes that look much like the characters i'm sad uh, electro makes sense to me yeah it was really good to alter that one um, so let's talk about what you love about it. Like, what do you think, what, what is it that, that, that grabs you, Jordan? 
this is well first of all uh this is the series that made me love doc ock um he's cool in this he's super cool in this and uh, like i uh, the doc ock i remember before this uh i have again i have a memory of having from a very young age a john byrne spider-man issue where the cover is dr octopus with a with a spider spider-man going after him so it was okay. in the 200 somethings i forget what but the plot was that at that point doc ock was so afraid of spider-man that if he sees spider-man he be, he goes catatonic and his his mm -hmm. arms go crazy which is an interesting story but it's not it's certainly not cool like that's what doc ock was in my mind yeah do then doc i got this in devalued into sort of like a, 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 a not a big villain he yeah. sort of just become like this oh spider-man's beat this guy so much he's not an arch nemesis, even though for a while he was second only to Green Goblin. Yeah, yeah. But but, but there was a point like post Secret Wars where he felt like a joke. Absolutely, he he really did. And so this made him feel like such a cool cool threat. They put him in a suit, which automatic because again he was a chubby dude in spandex and it yeah. didn't it didn't suit him uh, i hate him in spandex so much that green outfit that he wears for a lot of the uh 80s uh mm -hmm. and 70s just as a terrible look for him he should be in a lab coat really yeah yeah, uh, yeah this white that's suit what was in the early ones right? this white suit is a good i'm happy with a white suit is a good compromise to a lab coat for me yeah i love it and then and then you you mentioned the the follow-up that eric did a little bit later, a couple years later, Revenge of the yes. Six. He also is in this badass suit, and he's got Adam. He's got his adamantium arms. Then, so his arms get even crazier, and so that's why, to me, because this came out at such a formative time. To me, Doc Ock was always Spider Man's mm -hmm. main nemesis. I mean, again, right. Green Goblin. Well, again, you think about when I was growing up. Norman there was, was no dead. Green Goblin. Yeah. Well, there was, and it was Harry periodically. Yes. Harry, yes. Harry would snap every once in a while. Um, but yeah, so to me, Doc Ock was always his main guy, and the Hobgoblin for a little while was up there. Um, but yeah, w w once Norman was dead, other than that great uh, James DeMatteis, uh Harry story, the, that Green Goblin mm -hmm. never really was a threat. No, no, he popped he popped in and out, but he wasn't as big of a thing. In fact, I think the last time he had appeared before this point was kind of as a good guy. I f I feel yeah, like I remember him fighting. True. Him fighting the Hobgoblin. Now that you mentioned, yeah, it. Doc Ock vanish... is always a good omen of a Spider-Man story. If Doc Ock's in the story, it's it just tends to be a great story. Yeah, one one of the things I loved about Slot's run is that he made uh, even before yeah. Superior Spider-Man is that he made Doc Ock a legit threat. Uh, he treated him seriously. I and I love Superior Spider-Man. I Me too. Yeah, it was great. I, like I I'm crazy about it, and I. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I was privileged enough to to know where they were going with it when it was mm -hmm. happening. So, uh, you know, it was spoiled for me in that sense. But it was such a thrill to watch it play out. And uh, I think I think he pulled it off incredibly well. When people when people started freaking out because he killed Peter, I I just I couldn't handle it because I was just like, it's a story, folks. Yeah, fan, yeah, yeah. fan reactions. <laughs> uh, I'm grateful for any creator who stays on Twitter. Fan reactions are so toxic. They were so mad at him for killing Peter. And saying that, like, oh, Peter's dead. It's like, it's Peter Parker's never going to be dead forever. Superman yeah. came back. Peter Parker will be back. And the same thing happened with the Captain America Hydra yeah. thing. When Captain America was uh, revealed to have always been in Hydra, everyone is furious. I'm like, it's not going to stick. It's like, it's a, it's story. a story. It's clearly they have an out. They're not yeah. turning Captain America into the biggest Nazi in the world. Yeah, <laughs> both of those stories, they're actually similar because both of those stories are reversal of the, of the, central conceit in order to reaffirm it yeah. guess what dr octopus killed peter parker and now he's the superior spider-man 
No, he isn't. To show yes. that Peter is the real, the real Spider-Man is in his heart <laughs> and yes. that he makes Doc a better person through it. And then he comes back. Same with Hydra, Hydra Steve. Hydra Steve, oh, he was always Hydra. No, he wasn't. And through it, you find out, no, this is how good he is that even in the face of this, yeah. he still comes back and wins. People get so mad about this stuff. It's as if they've never read a comic book. Right. <laughs> it's, it's as if somebody like, I like, it's similar. Like when Cap died, uh, people didn't get mad about that. But I remember like the news being like, when the news covered it, I'm like, this is like the fifth major hero that's been covered in the news is dying. It doesn't last. If it lasts a year, it'll be amazing. I'm mean, It's like, yeah. I was already so jaded when Superman died, like uh, which was like the first big ones of those. I was like, "Well, this doesn't. You can't kill. You're not going to kill Superman. Yeah, you have four times. You he's in four books. Yeah, you right. can't kill like a cultural icon. Like if yeah. if somebody released a book and said the big bad wolf is dead or something <laughs> like that, it'd be like, well, what the fairy tale? No, well, no, he's or whatever. Uh, <laughs> like, Superman. I get, but I guess Superman was the turning point, right? Because before yeah. Superman, you you just had like Jean Grey, and Jean Grey, yes, you didn't have like a, for a long time. I think she was back by the time Superman. That felt like it was a permanent death, even though it, it felt permanent when she died. Yes, characters yeah. mostly only died if they were coming back like the next issue for a long time, right. uh, or they'd be smaller characters that didn't matter as much. This this features come back. There's a big Gwen death Stacey in here. Still dead. Gwen Stacy is still dead. Uh, there yeah. is technically right. a clone of her. I think still out there somewhere oh, with questionable lineage. That. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Norman uh, came back. Uh, that was a breaking point for me. And I, I don't mind having him back, but it was just sort of like, oh, he was dead so long. Why, yeah. why bring him back? And, and also the fact that he came back. back I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have read the, there, there was a, I don't know if it's still around. There was a thing on the internet, like a, a kind of oral history of the clone saga. And it talked about why Norman came back which is that they weren't going to bring Norman back. They were going to bring Harry back and say Harry was behind the clone saga. And then the editor-in-chief changed and the new editor-in-chief went, no, Harry sucks. Have it be somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, well, the only person that would make any sense given the things we've hinted yeah. with Norman. So they, Either, they had to bring back Norman. <laughs> Either one of them felt weird to me at the time just because it just they both felt so dead, dead. Yeah. Um, and, and that was going to break no matter what. If that story didn't do it, something else would have, you know. Uh, I mean, you're editing a book where characters never die now. That is, that, the, yeah, we uh, leaned into it. We leaned into it. X-Men books <laughs> have a built-in resurrection <laughs> machine or whatever. Uh, but, uh, hey, yeah, you let's, know. Let's get back to Spider-Man. Well, this has a death in it, too. It was what right. I was going to say. That, that's a big part of it. Is, oh, right. Uh, yes. So it's a it's a character that nobody remembers now. So it's not a big deal in reference. I had to remind Will who he was before you came on. Right. Yeah. But but at the time, it was a big deal. This was Aunt May's boyfriend, who was yeah. kind of a dick. Right. <laughs> Her right. grumpy dickhead boyfriend. Because yeah. she, because she, <clears throat> pardon me, she um, at the time, like, ran a, like, a boarding house or. Yeah. And so there was. She started a, a boarding house during, like, this Roger Stern era with this guy, um, Nathan, Nathan Lubinsky. Lubinsky. Who was in a wheelchair and a gambler? <laughs> but but he hair, also though, he's got a great head of hair. He does. His early stories, he was basically like, "I'm not going to let being in a wheelchair and being old stop me from standing up for myself." He had like that uplifting side. He would sort of give Peter pep talks sometimes. Oh yeah. And also gave the vulture a pep talk once. The vulture <laughs> sort of the vulture sort of lost faith and met Nathan out of costume. And Nathan Nathan's like, "I'm not letting this stop me." And the vulture's like, yeah, I'm going to go kill Spider-Man. <laughs> Wait, really? Okay, that makes it even more absurd that the vulture accidentally yes. kills him. I yeah, did not it's really know that. sad. It's tragic. 
it's not really played for that, but the vulture liked Nathan wow, in the story. Okay. And it's one of Cern's first stories. Um, I'll have to go back and find that. I'm sure. I, I'm sure, I wonder if I read love it, or it if Kevin. I missed that one. Love it. That's awesome. So I have a question about Aunt May, though, too. Like, how old do you think she is? <laughs> I don't know. Era, this, she's drawn like she's a thousand years old. She really did. Yeah. Eric Larson <laughs> took Ditko's already ancient looking at May and aged her as if it was real. T- it was a real time book. She looks like a mummy. She looks like a mummy who's crawled out of a sarcophagus and makes wheat cakes for Peter. <laughs> This is the first Aunt May where I, I accept that Peter could never tell her he's Spider-Man. He can't tell her he's going to be late for dinner. Right. The shock well, this would is, kill her. Well, again, this is the Spider-Man I really, this is the Aunt May I grew up with. So to my, so to me, to me, it was crazy so when all frail. of a sudden she started being like younger and active yeah. in the comics nowadays. I was like, what? That's the same woman. Um, I, I don't know when they started drawing her younger. Maybe it was after uh, uh, Brand New Day. or uh, I, think was, I feel like she still looked old during JMS's run, but I can't remember now. I think you're right. I think it was around there because because obviously she was much younger in the Ultimate Spider-Man. Right, universe. of course. I think they kind of just were in, took inspiration from that more in the Brand you New Day. You just need an Aunt May who uh, can be sick, but isn't doesn't look like any day now. Yes. <laughs> you can't yes. have her that. You can't have her so old because it's it's – you, then you might as well kill her, which they've tried to do a couple of times, of course. <laughs> Always a mistake, though, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. To, it's tough. It's it's a hole in the book. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, and that's the thing is that so so it's yeah, a tough yes. it's a tough but, thing. But but uh, I think I talked over it. But Nathan dies because of okay. uh, the vulture drops him. What yes. happens? I can't, uh, the vulture well, so, dro- so, drops him in. Spider Man catches him, but the. His heart was bad enough. Right. He, he was already like he was already dying. Like it was mm-hmm. just a matter of time. He knew it. He was terminal. Aunt May knew it. They were wrestling with that. And he took he cashed in his life insurance early and to gamble. bet it on but, vulture murdering someone. Yeah, on an assassination <laughs> bet that was yes. going on. It was the big bet of the city. <laughs> So and he fit, and he loses because of Spider Man and right. at the at the last minute Vulture to try to escape uh, grabs Aunt May, and is going to use her as a hostage. But then and Nathan, Nathan kind of has a hero moment, has a hero moment, saves yeah. Aunt May. But the Vulture takes off and he ends up falling from a great height, as you said. And it, it's, a heart it's very funny in this story. The Vulture is hired to kill this guy, and everyone and the Kingpin <laughs> is like, "It's a sure thing. We got the Vulture." I'm like, "Has the Vulture ever succeeded? <laughs> this is a sure thing." He's a ninety-year-old man with a big turtleneck bird costume. <laughs> well, he demonstrates by Punisher. smashing a smashing a a, a dummy. I mean, so yeah. you can't you can't lose. Everyone is so confident, except for one gangster who hires another criminal who I think rarely succeeds uh, as backup. Well, uh, the the kingpin's confident, but the 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 bookies know because when Nathan calls up, he's like, they they tell him it's still 50-50. They tell him. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you can call a bookie, and be like, what are the odds on this supervillain killing this guy? And the bookies have numbers. <laughs> they have odds. Like, what are you, you betting on the Giants game? No, the assass- the vulture assassination. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fifty-fifty. Yeah. Venom versus uh, the chameleon. It's a uh, seventy to one odds, but um. Vulture's 50-50 on this guy. The character Chance, too, is ridiculous, but it's the kind of ridiculous that I love in comics. This character Chance is, he you don't pay, you don't hire him for an assassination. You bet he can't kill someone. <laughs> so you go, if you don't kill this guy, you pay me $100,000. And if you do, I pay you $100,000. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Which is doubly odd here because, like you said, the vultures already hired. So the odds are got to be against Chance. I don't know why he takes it. I think I read it as if this guy dies, he gets paid even if he doesn't do it. Oh, okay. I think he gets paid if if he or the vulture does it. So it's like easy money. Two chances. Two two chances. (laughs) That's how I read it anyway. It's not super clear. But then he he gives up pretty quickly. (laughs) Let's let's talk about uh, Eric Larson's art. What do we love about Eric Larson's art? Because this is something you love, Jordan, right? Yeah. Um. Oh gosh, it's, it feels That's to me so hard to say. I, I am an amateur in it, well, in every way, but uh, certainly I have no illustration ability. But it looks to me to be a little McFarlane inspired. This is following Todd McFarlane's run on Spider Man, right? It definitely is. It definitely is. Like, for, like uh, he he's he draws he's drawing everybody with huge eyes the way Todd did, yeah. and that's something that the that went away from from Eric's style the the farther he got from where Todd was on the book. Yeah. Um, like there's, Peter there's has also like giant less, doe eyes sometimes. Yeah, giant. Yeah, Peter sort of looks like a almost a manga character, just like kind of a sweet it almost looks like Lil Peter. Looks like a, <laughs> Yeah. Um but I I, I kind of it's very stylized. Like I like this Peter. I like this Peter. Me too. Uh, me too. I, I, it's emotional. He definitely he draws a lot of um the uh, Doc Ock's tentacles go forever mm-hmm. in the same way that like Spawn's cape goes forever. Spidey's webs used to like wrap around 600 times to McFarlane was drawing it. Uh, there's things like that that are definitely there where I feel like this feels, I mean, I, I guess this is pretty early Larson. I don't know what he yeah. had done before this book. Uh, I like Larson too. I, again, I didn't read this book when it first came out. I, 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 reading this now, it looks as like, oh, this is crude Larson. Like, Larson gets way better. Agreed. Uh, even before now. Like, there's a point where you get to, like, peak young Larson, and we're not there yet. I mean, even even the stuff right after this, uh, where he's the 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 venom on an island stuff is, is, is gets even cooler. Yes. And the, and the, I read that um, story. The Doctor Doom story that he does in 350 is pretty sweet. Um, but I do, but I, this is, like I said, I think this is during the transition where he's trying to... Yes. People, people had a. There was more of a concerted effort to try to keep the style sort of similar back yeah. then. It makes sense because McFarlane was so big; like he yeah. had sort of single-handedly put Spider-Man back on the map. I, th- I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. To like to lose him and replace him with uh, almost anyone artist. else would have been tough. But um, at the same time, like his, I also love his his actual Spidey. Like his Spidey is he's so elastic. Yes, uh, Eric Larson's Spidey definitely pushes the definition of what a tendon can do. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, the flexibility that Spidey has is insane. Like his, you know, his knees will be well above his head when he's like crouching, and like his arms seems to have like two elbows. But it looks extremely yeah, I mean, this, cool. This Electro one again, like his leg is up higher than his shoulder. Yeah, like his, <laughs> his shoulders in front it, of his leg. It's, it's insane. It's anatomically crazy, but he does look like a spider right i mean he does kind of like he and it um the art is really dynamic and fun it's loose and stylized in a way that was like exciting to read tons of like those long visual panels like a lot of the layouts of the page all the panels go from like top all the way to the bottom Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um there's there's some panels i really like the exaggeration of uh physics and there's some panels where it was too much for me, uh, okay. and, it's, and it's not fair. It's arbitrary. Like here's one where his legs are just. This is just a too much for me. I'm. It's on a tablet. Oh, that's this pretty. Is, <laughs> this is Spidey versus Shocker. It is an impossible. Oh yeah. Spidey is in a physically impossible position where 
it looks like his hips have broken yeah, and his no, legs have. have kicked forward over him. I mean, it looks like Spidey has been maimed there. Yeah. Uh, so every now and then there's a picture like that where I'm like, that's too much. And I don't know, like McFarlane had moments like that too, for sure. So this is not, it's, this is a nineties problem more than a Eric Larson problem, but those take me out of the book a little bit. And then there'll be a panel where it looks really cool. I actually love his shocker. I like Larson's shocker a lot. I'll, yeah, I'll, oh I'll, yeah. Shocker's in here too. That's right. I forgot about him. Shocker, uh, which I play the, I love the, the PS4 video game of Spider-Man and shocker is in the video game. and gets made fun of as being a super lame character, but Spidey in the game is like, but your costume is awesome. Can we talk design aesthetics? And, uh, and ever since then I'm like, you know what? The shocker's costume is good. I do. His costume gets made fun of in the comic, and I like his costume too. Oh, look let's that see one. that. Look, we're finding another Spidey. It's just crazy. Like, <laughs> it that's, a, that's a man whose spine has been shattered. Uh, this is also the era where Mary Jane's hair. It's like, yeah, uh, she's got like um, Medusa hair, right? She's got. She looks like she's in the Inhumans. Mm-hmm. So Mary Jane is a thing that I think we should discuss because it's a big. Uh, it's a big point of contention obviously so uh, peter and mary are married in this in this yeah, time just showing yes uh, they're a happy mean, couple they have their marriage struggles but they are by and large a happy couple right that's the that's the status this is yes the hair. now this is the oh look that's that's a crazy hair one yeah this <laughs> is the thing this this is a this is very much a transition from fan to creator okay thing for me okay. is that like I said, Spider-Man is in my veins. Spider-Man's in my heart. It lives yes. in me. And I grew up on this series right here, like these things. So to me, I do feel very strongly and feel a connection to their marriage. And I love them together. And it makes yes. me happy. But hmm. uh, eventually I realized that why it's bad and why it is not a good thing for the series as a whole. Um Mostly it came down to uh, a thing that uh, Kurt Busick wrote on uh, the internet at some point talking about why he didn't think it made it was a good idea. Um, but it made, basically it made me realize that the happy marriage that he had, there's not a lot you can do with it. Well, okay. Her function as his wife is to make his life easier. And if you read this story that we just read, that is what she does. Yes. Like literally she, she has a plot too that is making her yes. life hard, but she does not burden Peter with it. And every <laughs> time they interact, it's all about her going, Oh, he really needs this. Oh, let me, Oh, I, mean, I, I he's a superhero. It sort of makes sense that she feels that way. Right. Well, it's, because, and that's the thing yes. is that your, your options with her as a character are either going to be, she just makes his life better all the time, or she doesn't, uh, and she is bad. <laughs> yeah. Like if she makes his life worse, if if she is a struggle for him, if she is something that gets in the way of him being the best Spider-Man possible, then really she's not, we're going to end up judging her in ways that I don't want us to. Um, whereas yeah, it's, what it's, you want from a Spider-Man is you want him to have trouble. You want, I mean, fans don't, always want to to say this, to know this. To, they don't comprehend this always. But you want the, the hero to face adversity and struggle, right? Yeah. And if all she can, if 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 most of the time all she's going to do is make his life better, then it's on not the good whole, for the story. She's not good for the story. Something like Her Kurt Vonnegut said something like that. Kurt Vonnegut said a story is where you create a character you love and then you torture him for the entire book or something like that. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. 
Yeah, but what's Vonnegut know about writing? <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I'm similar to Jordan in the sense that, like, I started with Peter not married, and then he got married when I wasn't reading. Uh, and I was okay with him being married. And I remembered when uh, she was sort of taken – she was still married but gone. Like, they thought yeah. he either assumed dead or something. Uh, like, they were just trying to get rid of her in any way they could think of. And they tried to do the clone saga a little bit so that they'd have a single Peter – or a Ben Riley, whatever he would be at that time. And I remember being like, well, I feel like you're not trying to just write a good marriage. You're stuck with it. Just write it well. But then when uh, it finally came out that we're going to get rid of it, we're going to use like magic to get rid of it or whatever it is they did. Mm-hmm. I-, I was like, you know what? That story is going to be bad and then it'll be done. And yeah. I don't care. And I-, I think he's better not married. Yeah. Rip off the uh, bandaid. I, th- I think it's, uh, it's hurtful when he can't, ever be with Mary Jane, but that should be sort of an on again, off again, it's never going to happen sort of story. And I think that's where it is right now. I mean, they, in the sense that they, yeah, they, they sometimes get together. So. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's just like, she is, uh, she's nice to be like, Oh, this will probably be his future wife. Uh, Well, I I feel the same about Superman and Lois. Like I, it bums me out that they have them married too. Oh, it's weird. I'm I'm not as big a Superman fan. I like them married. I like Lois and Superman is just like, the perfect couple. Uh, I mean, they are, to date Lois, Lois was never, part of the Superman story right away, right? Like yeah. Mary Jane is still someone who entered after the, the right. mythology had been laid down. Yes. I, Maybe I think the difference why. for me is I never cared about the Superman trying to get Lois to date him part, but Peter trying to get a date, I did care about. Like, my, my, like, for me, Superman, my favorite Superman is Silver Age Superman. Yes. So to me... My favorite Superman is Lois doesn't actually know his identity and yeah. Clark likes Lois, but Lois likes Superman. Like, I like that. And that's obviously long gone. So it is, <laughs> I'm, out, I'm out of luck. It is a modern <laughs> comic problem where it's like, if you love somebody and trust somebody, why wouldn't you tell them who you oh, are? Yeah. Uh, and you, if you don't have a good reason, it, it, it starts to really strain credibility so it's like there's no reason, even if he's not married to Mary Jane, that she wouldn't know. But if he first start when he first starts dating someone, Peter wouldn't tell them because that's a crazy thing just to tell someone you don't know that well. Mm-hmm. But Mary Jane at this point should know. And Lois, Superman, if you don't trust Lois Lane, who can you trust Superman? You got to be able to trust her with your identity. So there's that sort of thing. Though I think sometimes they go too far. TV shows on the CW shows, see your identities almost don't exist. Well, they almost don't exist in comics. I mean, yeah, if you look at Marvel, rare. who has the secret identity? It's... It's a pretty low number. It's like Spider Man and a, a couple others. Spider Man, Ms. Marvel. Yeah, I, I kids mostly kids. <laughs> yeah, young people. I mean, not obviously none of the X Men. Not not yeah. Captain America anymore. Not Mary, Iron Man. But Mary Jane's a great character, right? Like, don't we She's like her character. as a character in the well, universe? Yes, although I struggle with her in the sense that when I look back at these comics, I. <sighs> this is hard to talk about. It, it she she definitely is. A, a a boy's version of a girl. Yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. A like, boy thought a of Mary mo- Jane, yeah. Right. She's the a supermodel model. actress who can hang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I always had the problem with Gwen that Gwen was uh, uh, both a perfect ma- – she felt like she was written to be a perfect match for Peter. She's beautiful and smart and, like mm-hmm. – it's like, uh, and her dad's a cop. It's like everything you need in one package. I'm like, oh, that's too much. Like Mary Jane at least is not into science. He's not not a good fit in that sense for Peter. Well, uh, if, it, if it helps with Gwen at all, she did sleep with Norman Osborn. So I mean, sorry, uh, sorry, 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 sorry. 
That's a storyline <laughs> no, better I left know. unsaid. <laughs> I know, I know. When I was doing, when I was working on, a, oh, this is a giant, ridiculous uh, d- distraction, but when I was working on Gwenpool, um, <laughs> who is not Gwen Stacy, but... Which a character I think Will has never heard of. And, Don't worry. Uh, this is interesting, it, yeah. I can sort of get where it's going is it like spider gwen but the deadpool version or yes something? but that is exactly what it is except that then when we made her into an actual character and not just a concept uh, we <laughs> she wasn't actually gwen stacy she's a character named gwen Pool. okay, okay. um anyway <laughs> they were doing this thing called generations where uh there was like time travel stuff where the yes. current version of the character goes and meets the, the the older version of the character so miles met young peter etc stuff right, like that. right and i said to them can i i know she isn't really gwen stacy but everybody thinks she is and can we make the joke that even the universe thinks gwen stacy gwenpool <laughs> is gwen stacy and she goes back in time and meets gwen stacy and uses the opportunity to talk her out of sleeping with norman osborne <laughs> <laughs> fix the continuity yeah and nice. they were like no and i was like, <laughs> like we don't even want to i still can't believe they did that storyline uh it seems so crazy well i guess my defense of Mary Jane, I mean, Jordan, you're totally right. It's a boy's, like, idealized version. She's just got some verve. She's not just sort of like a Silver Age love interest who has no personality other than being an object of affection of the hero. Like, that's very you, you could have a Mary Jane adventure. You could write she's, a Mary Jane adventure. You could write a Mary Jane story. Something and I, there. I think she's she's worse when she's too successful. When she is a supermodel actress, I don't think she's as much fun as a pretty party girl who doesn't really have like hasn't like found success yet. Like when she's running clubs and like she's had too much success now, it's very hard to imagine her anyone who had been like a TV star ever completely not having opportunities. uh, and she I think that hurts her a little bit. And sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's got to be just a reality star now, which is sort of too sad maybe to put oh. her in. Uh, she worked better like in the early days when she was just like, I, I, I like going dancing. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up in this sort of sense. Where I, I want to be an actress, but that's a hard gig to get. Like once you get that gig, she's almost a, a, not as fun a character. She's not as – she's too successful like uh, to be a friend of Peter's. <laughs> Her plot in this is that she has literally two stalkers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> two, two stalkers. Yeah. One um, of her stalkers stops her other stalker, which is, yeah, I guess the best way that can turn out. There, there's a lot in this book of a, re- a a plot point gets established, then there's a reveal. That plot point's not true. And then a second reveal, but here's another thing, which is the same thing, right? <laughs> there's a poison in the atmosphere. It's not a poison. It's a cure for cocaine addiction. But that is also a poison. <laughs> gotta stop her. We gotta stalk yeah, her. You're right. I'll stop you. No more stalker. But I am also a stalker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, that's Good a point. weird plot. Double device. reversal. Yeah. yeah. Imagine being stalked and saved by a stalker. It's like Aunt how, May. How, Aunt May's how being, conflicted that is. Yes. Aunt May is being swept up by the vulture. She's gonna die. Oh, Nathan has saved her. Now he is swept up and it's gonna die. And Aunt May's depressed. <laughs> Either way. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Well, I kind of love it. Uh, it. It is nice that a lot of the stuff does get wrapped up. As far as far as a collection, like a lot of the subplots start and end in this story. That's nice. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen a lot uh, in Marvel comics. Yeah, I mean, like we don't get. Uh, I'm trying to think what what carries over. I guess it doesn't resolve the Felicia and Flash stuff that they're setting right, up. Right, yes. but it has a big moment in it. 
I love yes, that it has though. a turning point, but it doesn't do any. It, yeah, it reminds you of a couple little things. But yeah, it's it's it seems rare when a Marvel comic can be self-contained in a collection where it doesn't feel like oh, there's a little before this and a little after this. There's not much going on here that does that, uh, or it feels completely written for the trade. Those are like your two options. I feel like yeah, this was from an era when, like we said, they were just starting to do more regularly these multi-part stories, but even still. The, the issues still read like issues. Um, yeah. I mean, they're issues that have a continuing story, but it's still. Yeah, there's like a, the event ended. of there's the issue one. that has right. its own little arc. Here, here's what I felt like reading this. This is a stretch. This is an undefensible position that I'm about to put oh, forward. Great. This is like the, so we've, we made fun of like the, you know, the physical impossibility of some of the mm-hmm. Spider-Man positions, blah, blah, sure. blah. And like some of the ridiculousnesses of the plot. There is like a real sense of uh, fun in this story. Like there yeah. is a sense of not being beholden to the rules of like, there's like a quiet defiance. It's like, all right, we're going to take the classic Spidey villains, but we're going to have fun with them. We're going to change the look when we want to change the look. We're going to indulge in the fun physicality to the nth degree and not worry about that being real. We're going to make them the highest stakes imaginable taking over the world and not worry about how silly that might sound. And I'm going to say this is very akin to in the early nineties, popular music was like sloughing off baby boomers. Like in the eighties, classic rock radio it was still like the rolling stones the kinks the beatles the doors and then in the 90s grunge came along nirvana pearl jam also like metal metallica rap dr dre and snoop dogg and all of a sudden the 60s were dead the 60s were dead and they've been replaced with something more alive there's something in this series that is like the beginning of the kids are running the the kids are running things now stan's gone you know, from running comics long, Ditko's not around. We get to play with these toys and we are going to have fun with them. And we don't care what you might say, Steve Ditko glowering in your New York studio somewhere. <laughs> you know, uh, th- there's just like a real sense of joy in it. Maybe that's Eric Larson's art. I don't know. I think my thought, my last thought, we should wrap up very soon, uh, is that uh, I like Eric, one the thing I like about Eric Larson's art when it's really working and it's working, I think, at parts in this book really well is that it just feels fast. There's an energy to it where every panel just feels like it's racing somewhere in a weird way. And there's movement feel like McFarland's art always felt cool and different and unique, but Larson's art always felt energetic to me. His defenders run with Kurt Busaic. Uh, I loved because it was just like, it just felt exciting. Every, even a static panel felt filled with just like a a static electricity in a weird way. And I think Mm -hmm. that same is true of his Spider-Man stuff, his good Spider-Man stuff. It just feels uh, uh, exciting and electric, and I and I do like that about his stuff. And it, uh, and yeah, I it think it's happy. Stuff, it feels very happy to me. It just doesn't. It, 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 it doesn't cool. feel like his art sits down and rests. Yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, I mean, I think that's what's interesting about that too is that this is the '90s. This is 1990s then. So uh, it's it's post, you know, Watchmen and uh, Dark Knight and all right. that. But it's not. Spider-Man doesn't get bogged down in that here. This is just a very fun era of Spider-Man where, yes. like you said, like, yes, it's life it's or death grim. all the time with Spider-Man, but it's not grim. No, never. Yeah. It's happy. That's that's, that's that's what I love about Spider-Man. I mean, that's part of the thing, right? Like, yes. Oh, yeah. That's, he always is cheerful in the face of danger, right? That's one yeah. of Stan Lee's greatest legacies is the joy, I think, he put in Spidey's dialogue because it. I think Ditko, and Kevin and I are huge Steve Ditko fans, 
mm-hmm. but he's so serious and somber and and grim but it was lee's dialogue that injected the essential joy into spidey's personality and it has always lived like everybody is faithful to spidey's happiness i think like that always comes out and i love it i love it it, it's so it does crucial. make stories like the uh, craven's last hunt stand out because they're not fun in the same way yeah. as most of his stuff if right. there's too much of that you kind of ruin spider-man it's you can do that once in a while rule. yeah 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 every, every Spidey writer... needs to be fun when, when a writer is on Spider-Man for long enough, they will do the story where he's he breaks and he becomes serious. But sure, you yeah. can get there a little while. <laughs> yeah, but even don't, in like, don't do much. Even in like the Ditko run, like the most serious he gets is like the Master Planner saga, and he's still oh, so sort good. of fun in that. He's still very fun in that. Like it's best when you don't lose that. Uh, I think Creepers Last Time is one of the few stories where I don't read that and go, oh, Spidey's a fun dude. It's, <laughs> it's just it's 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 a rough time. <laughs> it's also more on Craven than on Peter, right? Yes. Like he spent a lot more time yes, with Craven. That's probably why, yeah. And he is he is, he is you know. Spiders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a strange book for a ten year old to love. I love it. I know, uh, but I I, I do younger, I like my Spider Man to be happy. Heaven, yeah. I want my Spider-Man happy and having fun, even though life is hard. Right, but, right. And and also, I mean, and to me, the of course, the central thing of Spider-Man is that you, he does what's right, even though it hurts him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And even though it's hero. not best for him. Um, any last man. things, Jordan? We should, we've been out. Well, this is a, one of our long ones. Uh, oh, sorry. No, no, no it's totally cool. I like to battle. We have to apologize to you. It is our indulgence. Yeah. Um, any last comments? Uh, what, uh, apologies to Marvel Comics. Some of your books will be late this month. <laughs> on us. Um, no, I mean, I just I, I love Spider Man, and so I'm happy to to share the joy of this story. This was, like I said, a formative one. There's it starts a run of a bunch of really great issues. I think it's a fun time. If anybody hasn't read that era of Spider Man, I recommend it highly. I, I have a spotty record there. I should go back someday and and fill in all the gaps in my memory. You were too busy being a cool teenager. You were out there. That was so being, cool. That was yeah. so cool. Marching band really made me cool. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing cooler than high school marching band. Um, uh, thanks so much, Jordan. Uh, we really appreciate you spending time with us. My pleasure. That's our interview. Uh, another short one. <laughs> oh, man. This one. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. This one got away from us. Uh, it, it was... I had... It didn't feel like it was that long, and then I looked at the <laughs> clock. <laughs> we were like, "Whoops!" <laughs> we blew it. We blew it. Um, um, hopefully, I mean, I think it's a great interview. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's good to spread it out over a couple podcast listenings. You guys know how to do this. You've listened to long podcasts before. You guys, you guys are podcast listening pros. You know what you're up to. So, uh, uh, but uh, we if really... you made it to this point, email us. Yeah, we have an email address. Screw it, Spidey at Gmail. Uh, we also have an Instagram account, Screw It Comics. Um, and then there's a Twitter, Screw It Comics. Those are the main ways to get in touch with us. Yeah, send us an email. If you have thoughts about the Sinister Six, uh, about the X-Books, uh, or Marvel, or uh, me and Kevin, I don't know, or comics uh, at all. You tell us what question we should have asked Jordan and blew it by not asking. <laughs> what, what was what was our big miss? What did we, we don't know what we're have? doing here. <laughs> Give us something to regret. Give us, a, give us the thing that we should beat ourselves up about. Yeah. We're going to beat ourselves up anyway, but help us be specific about it. Yeah, that'd be that'd be really helpful. <laughs> uh, and I don't know who our next guest is. We, do, but, we don't uh, have our next guest schedule, but we got a couple. We we have some more. Um, we have some more that we're trying to nail down. So we we have some more. So I don't know. Stick around for our whatever. Please keep subscribing and listen to our next episode. Yeah, I'll try to mention whatever issues we're covering and guests we have on Instagram before it drops. Uh, but right now, I don't know. So we don't know yet. 
thanks so much for listening and uh, we hope you enjoy our uh, future episodes. Bye everybody. We're, we're professionals. Yeah, we know what we're doing. Comics. Hi, my name is Eve Sturgis and I have one question for you. Did you ever think about how much sex it takes to build a family tree? Those recreational DNA companies like 23andMe and Ancestry have such wholesome commercials about being Irish or Italian and connecting family and learning about heritage. But really, it's all about sex. Trust me, I made an entire podcast talking with people about the shocking discoveries and the deep, dark secrets that come to the surface with a few drops of spit. Season three of Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is coming at you April 16th from Campfire Media on all the pod platforms. 